Lord, um, it takes our breath away, this uh, assurance and promise that you go before us, you walk beside us, and we will never, ever be alone. We pray, Lord, that you would open up your word for us and open up our hearts this morning and open up the significance of that truth for us in a way that, that changes things for us going forward from here this morning. We pray with anticipation in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. How do I experience more of God in my life? You ever found yourself wondering that? Yes, I believe in God. I believe Jesus died for me. I put my trust in him. But how do I experience more of his involvement in my life day to day? How do I get my life to be more about him and, and his purposes? How do I get my life to line up better with his design for it? How do I actively follow him? Some people seem to talk about God in a way that makes it seem like God is just so involved in their lives, part of their whole life, not just during worship on a Sunday morning, but each day and all through each day. That he's leading them into the life that he has for them. He's showing them the way to go and, and what to do and how to live each day. I want that. I mean, sure, he's in my life, but... But I want more than that. I want an active sense of God being involved, leading me, shaping me and my life. I want to experience God in my life. Does that register with you? If so, I think this morning's message might really speak to your heart. This morning we are exploring an image, one that is found all through the Psalms and all through the scriptures, of God as our guide who actively leads us along the path that he intends for us. Listen to these captivating words of invitation from Psalm 32. God says to his people, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. What a beautiful picture of the deep involvement of God in an individual's life. I will instruct you. I'll give you insight and I'll make you wise and discerning. I will teach you. I'll direct you. I'll get you going in the right direction. I will counsel you. I will share my wisdom with you, and I will give you good advice with my loving eye on you. I will lead you in the way that you should go. Obviously, at the center of this passage is this imagery of a way or a path along which God leads us as his people. There are hundreds of scripture passages that use this same image. You think about it, the primary way that people got around in Bible times was by walking along a path. 
So that image of walking along a path became a consistent way that people would talk in a metaphorical way, both about the, the way that they lived their life and also talked about the way that they followed God. And as it turns out in Scripture, those two ideas are meant to be the same thing. The way that I live my life is meant to be the way that I follow God. So what I'd like to do now is just to step back with that image in our mind, and I'd like to just explore with you four themes that come through in that metaphor in this this passage. Four implications that I think are really worth our thinking through and taking to heart. The first implication of this passage is that there are lots of possible paths that we could walk along as human beings. Lots of them. What is this world with its myriad religions and ideologies, with its endless variety of of competing priorities and values and goals and approaches to life? What is this world if it is not a path factory? Part of what that means is that the heart of the human experience is a choice that we are presented with, a choice that is required of us of the many, many, many paths, which will I follow? Is that a question that you've settled in your mind? But there's also another dimension to this first implication, and it's one that's spelled out in this passage. Not only are there many paths, but some paths are better than others, and one path is best of all. Now, in our judgment-free, no-fault-whatever-floats-your-boat world, you're not allowed to say that. But what if we didn't actually bring ourselves into existence? What if we aren't the ones who made up the rules? What if our lives can actually be traced back to a source outside of ourselves, to a holy and loving being who thought us up and gave us life. Isn't it reasonable to conclude that the way he thought was best for us to live as human beings actually might be the best way? I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, God says. The God who created us knows the best way for us to live. And we have a choice, the right way or our way, the best way or our way, his way or our way. And that choice comes through everywhere in the scriptures. David in Psalm 1, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. David in Psalm 139 speaks of two different ways that we can go. There's a crooked way that we could walk in, but we desire, we pray that God would lead us in the way that is everlasting. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6, 16, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the way is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
You know that we get down to Charlotte on a pretty regular basis to see our kids and our grandkids who live down there. Well, one time last year, uh, we were on a trip down to Charlotte. Um, we had driven most of the way. It was near midnight. We were uh, driving along 74 and about an, outside, an hour outside of Charlotte. And I was listening to a wonderful audio version of The Lord of the Rings. It was narrated by Andy Serkis. I think it's the best narrated book I've ever listened to. And I was, um, you might say, rather absorbed. Suddenly, in the pitch black, in the middle of absolutely nowhere, the highway just came to an end. Huge orange signs blocked the road that said, end of highway, and road closed. And it literally stopped right on the other side of those signs was just fields. What in the world? I know this road like the back of my, how'd that get there? Hand. Well, I pulled over and I pulled out my phone, absolutely baffled. I uh, entered our kids' address and, and, uh, on, on Google, and what came back was a big red triangle with an exclamation point, and it said, can't find a way there. <laughs> we just cracked up at that point. Well, um, I eventually climbed out of the world of Middle Earth and figured out that uh, that just a couple miles back, I had missed a fork, and so we were able to just jog over and get back on 74 and, and drive the rest of the way without too much trouble. Life presents us with lots of possible paths. How would you describe the path that you're on? How confident are you that it's the right path? That the path that you're on will actually take you where you want to go? I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Here's the second implication of this passage. That the Christian life is meant to be a dynamic process and not a static existence. The metaphor of a path implies movement, progress, continuing along, advancing with new developments and, and new views and new challenges and new successes at every step along the way. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. It's not a way that we enter and then camp out on. It's a way that we walk along. The imagery of a path as, the, is, um, as this, this idea of the way as being a picture of the Christian life and of, of following God is at the heart of biblical imagery about what it means to be a person of God. Think about this. God is the great way maker in the Old Testament, the pillar of cloud and fire, the one who goes before his people, leading them out of slavery, leading them through the wilderness, leading them to the promised land. Scripture is the great guidebook. I think one of the most unfortunate translation traditions that we have in English is translating um, what we call law, Torah, as law. The word actually means guide or direction or instruction. It's, it's, it's pointing out a way for us to live, not a bunch of rules that we have to obey. And in the book of Acts, 
we learn that before it was called anything else, the Christian faith was called the way. That's how it's described five, five different times in the book of Acts. The Christian faith is meant to be understood as a dynamic and adventuresome journey. A way that we travel along. What new things will God be showing me or teaching me or revealing me about himself or inviting me into with each new bend on the trail? The Christian faith is meant to be understood as a dynamic experience. But over the past several generations, at least in the evangelical church in the United States, in an effort to make the gospel clearer and more accessible, we have inadvertently shrunk it down to something less than what it really is. Rather than a way that we walk, the primary metaphor since the 1950s or 60s has been a room that we enter. I was in the room called Lost, I walked through the door called Jesus, and I entered into the room called Saved. And now I just sit and wait until I die or Jesus returns, and then I get to be with him for eternity. It's an incredibly static picture. This passage we're looking at stretches our thinking about the Christian life back into biblical size and proportion. The Christian life is not a room I occupy. It is a path that I walk along which I make progress and learn and grow. There's progress that I can look back on. There are places to grow that are still out in front of me. I can enter into new stretches and new experiences of the Christian life and of God at every turn. It's an active and vibrant process that engages and requires all of me all along the path. This is the way God's way should be experienced. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. The way of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. How do you think about the Christian life that you are living? Is the Christian life a room that you occupy or is it a path that you are following along? Is it static? Is it a place where you sit and wait? Or is it dynamic, a path that you follow, that you, you move along further, moving ever further and drawing ever nearer? As you look back across your Christian life and as you think about where you are right now, is it experience, an experience of, of growth and and increasing maturity, of being invited to, into new stages, of yielding up your life to Jesus and becoming more like him? Can you point to the places in your life where God is at work today, what this portion of the path entails? Do you have a sense of what the next portion of the trail might involve? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. The third implication of this passage is that we need to rethink the path that we're on in much more relational and much less impersonal terms. It's so easy for us to fall into thinking of God's way in fixed and impersonal terms. God's way is a paved and unforgiving path. This thing called his will that we need to find, stumble upon maybe, and then work hard to stay on. And if we get 
off of it. We need to be anxious about that and then backtrack and find our way back to the path and where we somehow got off of it. But listen again to this passage and how profoundly, personally, God describes the unfolding of this way before us. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Three different times, God says, I will. I'll make you wise and discerning. I'll get you going the right direction. I'll give you the wise advice that you need. We are not led by the path. We are led by a person along the path. A person who takes us by the hand and leads us. A person who goes before us and walks beside us. It is a living way along which we are led by a God whose loving eye is on us. A God who is actively involved with us and concerned for us. How will he instruct and teach and counsel us? In a relational way. A lot of people talk about God opening and closing doors and, and leading us along his path in that way, through circumstances. And it is true that that is the way that God can lead us, especially when we are first beginning to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. But God ultimately intends something much more intimate and relational than guiding us by external circumstances. He wants to guide us conversationally, relationally. Listen to the verse that comes just after this one that we've been looking at. Psalm 32, verse 9. Don't be like a horse or a mule, which has no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Think about how a bit and a bridle work. A horse isn't capable of having a conversation with its rider, in which the rider expresses his desires, and then the horse responds by cooperating and, and following along that path. The rider needs to communicate its intentions in a different way. It doesn't communicate with the horse. It communicates to the horse directing it through the circumstance of an uncomfortable bit in its mouth. When this passage says a, a horse and a mule have no understanding, it actually says they have no discernment, which is really interesting. It means they're not capable of discerning between two paths that are before them and to figure out which of those two paths the rider would prefer. So it needs to be controlled. Dallas Willard, in his exceptional book, Hearing God's Voice, which I would highly recommend to every one of you, makes the distinction between mechanical guidance, where someone is steered from outside through circumstances, and personal guidance, where someone is steered through conversation in the context of a conversational relationship. And it is our being led through that personal guidance that is what God intends for every single one of us. So what might that look like? I want to tell you, I had, uh, just in the last few weeks, I had a couple of moving, deeply moving conversations, two different men, um, and, and they both described a little bit of what this can look like for God to lead us in a very relational way along his path. As it happened, in, in both cases, they were describing feelings that were taking them this direction. 
maybe feeling some hurt or some frustration, wanting to respond in a defensive or in a self-protective way. And then God showed them his path. He gave them his counsel. And in one case, it felt like a nudge. And in the other case, it seemed like almost a spoken word that that came into the middle of this self-talk, of this sort of internal conversation of God suddenly weighing in with his perspective. And in both cases, these men felt that nudge, heard that voice, and cooperated with it and went in a different direction and in an opposite spirit, in a, in a posture of grace and, and of humility and of openness and of selflessness. That's how God instructs us and leads us in the way that we should go without having to use a bit and a bridle. And the key to that, the key to that is that we ask and that we listen And that we're ready to say yes when God leads, as both these men beautifully were. The way that God leads us is along a way that is profoundly personal. The year after Sharon and I got married, uh, I was still in seminary. We spent uh, most of the summer in West Africa doing ministry. And there was a time when we were in uh, in the inner city of Abidjan uh, in the Cote d'Ivoire, And uh, we were trying to get to the bus station. We were the only Americans and the only white people within what felt like 500 miles um, in a sea of people who looked very different from us. Nobody spoke our language. We spoke none of the languages that we were surrounded by. And we were cutting our way through a shanty town, through hundreds of of corrugated metal uh, houses And there was no path. There was no road. We had no map to lead us. There were no signs to the bus station. But it was fine. Because Kofi, uh, this man who'd become a dear friend to us, this gentle-souled, beautiful man, was leading us. I love the way that God's intimate and personal way of leading was captured by King George VI in his 1939 Christmas message in which he quoted from a poem by Minnie Haskins. And this is how this goes. I love this. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. And that will be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth, and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. Following God's path should always be thought of in that specific, intimate, and personal way. God taking us by the hand and leading us. Us taking God by the hand and letting him lead us. Psalm 73, verse 23, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand and you will guide me with your counsel. On the last night Jesus spent with his disciples, Jesus said, I am the way. What could be more personal than that? How do you think about the path that you are on and 
and what's required of you to stay on it. Do you think of it in, in impersonal terms as a fixed path laid out that you have to struggle to find and then struggle to stay on? Or do you think of it in personal terms as God taking you by the hand and leading you each day into the life that he has for you? And here's the fourth implication of this passage. That every path leads somewhere. But God's path always leads to God himself. This is one of the absolutely wonderful mysteries of the Christian life. Every path that God leads us on, wherever else it may lead us, into holiness, into love, into ministry, into service, will always lead us to him. God directs all things, says Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ, that direct us to him. I love the unexpected twist at the end of the passage we just looked at, Psalm 32, verse 9. Look at how it ends. Don't be like the horse or the mule that have no understanding, no discernment, but have to be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they will not. What you would expect it to say is go where you want them to go. But it doesn't say that. It says, or they will not come to you. God's path always leads from wherever we are to him. And what more than that could we want? The writer of the book of Hebrews speaks of the Christian faith as a new and living way opened up for us that allows us to enter into the most holy place, that is, into the presence of God himself. And Jesus speaks of himself in that same way. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes into the Father's presence except through me. Jesus leads us to him. Julian of Norwich prays in the one prayer that God will always answer. God, of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough for me. Where is your path leading? And what's waiting for you at the end of the path that you're on? Or who? In each of these messages this summer, we are wanting to focus on a prayer practice that can help us experience this particular dimension of the presence of God that we're focusing on. Our prayer practice this morning is going to be to answer God's invitation that we received in Psalm 32, using God's own words to respond back to him, to use God's words to ask him to lead us and to use his words to lead us in listening to him and in saying yes to him. Inviting God to lead us along his path, as I hope that has become clear this morning, is so much more than thinking of asking God for his advice when we happen to get to those occasional intersections where a choice is required of us in life. This is a practice that God invites us to take part in all day, every day. Inviting him to take us by the hand and to lead us into the life that he has for us. And this is the key to our experiencing a sense of God's deeper and deeper involvement in our lives. 
In the imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis imagines Jesus saying this to his followers. I love this. Above all, commit all things to me and entrust yourself wholly to me, saying, Lord, you know what is best. Let everything be in accordance with your will. Give what you will, as much as you will, and when you will, do with me as you think good, as pleases you best and as most to your glory. I am in your hand. Guide me according to your will. I am indeed your servant, and I wish to live not for myself, but for you alone. God has placed an amazing invitation in front of us this morning. And we're going to close by responding, by praying God's words back to him from Psalm 25 and Psalm 143. Portions of scripture that I would encourage you to commit to memory at some point. And then after we have that prayer time, we're going to go straight into our closing worship song. So I'd like to invite the worship band, if you would come on up now. And then I'm going to, as they come up, I'm just going to invite you all to join with me in prayer. This is what God says to us this morning. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And we say back to God, I encourage you to just read this through slowly and prayerfully with me, if you would. And you might consider opening your hands as a way of of symbolically expressing, I am reaching out for and laying hold of the hand of God as he leads me forward. Pray this with me. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm path.